T-minus 10, 9, ignition sequence starts. Coming to you from a small undisclosed outpost somewhere in Radioland, it's Because I Said So. Parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved for American parents. John Rosemond. People like this are a menace to decent society. Call in now about anything from toddlers to teens, even your 20-something toddlers who refuse to stop sucking on the pacifier of your standard of living. Let's not talk about it in front of the boy. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. From American Family Radio Network, here's your host, John Rosemond. Welcome to the show, folks. I'm your host, John Rosemond, and the show is ostensibly, usually, most of the time, about what is now in America called parenting. But uh, I give myself permission to talk about a lot of things because uh, in the final analysis, the raising of children can't be taken out of a larger cultural context. So here's an example of what I'm... uh, Leading up to here, a fellow named, uh, and he just gave his first name. I assume this is his first name. He said that his name is Dr. Stephen, and he's uh, in, I'll just say he's in Texas. And he called us on our studio line and left a message saying that he had spent 32 years in medicine and has come to the conclusion that the Bible is not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He, Dr. Stephen from Texas, he, having spent 32 years in medicine, has come to the conclusion that the Bible is not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, this is called an appeal to authority. And what that means is that the person in question invokes himself and his experience and credentials as the final word on some subject, whatever the subject is. Obviously, an appeal to one's own authority is highly narcissistic, and it's a sure bet that when someone appeals to authority in this fashion that they don't really know what they're talking about. In effect, what Dr. Stephen is claiming is that the person, and this is a postmodern relativistic claim, the person, the individual, is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He went on to say, the Bible is a work of man, not God, although, and this is a direct quote from his voice message, although we are God. Now, what that means is your best guess. We produced the Bible. We're co-producers. We're co-creators. The Bible is truth. The words and the meaning are not truth. Now, that is what he said. I wrote it down very carefully. If you can make sense of that, good luck. I could not make any sense of it whatsoever. 
He then went on to say that I am a dangerous person. And he wasn't really clear on that, but I gathered from other comments that he made during this rather rambling phone message that I am a dangerous person because I do not subscribe to psychiatric and psychological orthodoxy, which is completely the case. In fact, not only do I not subscribe to psychological orthodoxy, I don't subscribe to psychology at all. Although, interestingly enough, for first-time listeners, I am licensed as a psychologist in the state of North Carolina by the State Psychology Authority, the North Carolina Psychology Board. Dr. Stevens said the concept of mental illness is valid. He has treated, he knows it's valid because he has himself treated hundreds and hundreds of mental illnesses with a variety of remedies. And what you have, he said, with attention deficit disorder, and this is what he was building up to, is a comment on my position on attention deficit disorder, which is that it is not a valid disease, as claimed by the American Psychiatric Association. It is a mental construct. Uh, no one has uh, been able to find any biological, reliable biological correlates that are associated with a diagnosis of attention deficit disorder. No one, despite claims, has been able to find genes that are supposedly responsible etc., etc., etc. It's a concept. There is no objective evidence that would lead to the conclusion that it is a disease. Concerning my comments on attention deficit disorder, or at least presumably concerning them, because like I said, his message was very rambling, he said, uh, you are a danger to society. You are giving out incomplete information, and you're like flying an incomplete airplane. You're going to crash eventually because incomplete will crash. Don't get in an incomplete airplane, Dr. Stephen warns. Don't believe everything you think. Well, that's good advice, in fact. Don't believe everything you think. Dr. Stevens seems to think he's the final authority on everything having to do with anything. Okay, well, I have no idea where Dr. Stevens' life is headed, but I do know one thing. You cannot have an intelligent discussion with a guy like that. Not that he's not intelligent. Uh, he obviously is, or at least he sounded intelligent at least part of the time. It is impossible to have an intelligent conversation with a guy like that because he's obviously not capable of what I call intellectual honesty. He's not capable of changing his mind about anything. He thinks, therefore, he is right. The world is full of people like Dr. Stephen, intelligent people who are incapable 
of considering a different point of view with any degree of objectivity. Now, related to this is the fact that several people have called simply to affirm that my comments about mental health professions and mental health professionals are spot on. Some people who have called relate instances, experiences with mental health professionals where, as I've said many, many times, those professionals made matters worse. And some of these folks asked where they can find a good biblical counselor. Okay, so that's an important question. And along those lines, here's what I recommend. I recommend that you find a counselor who is affiliated with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. These folks formerly called themselves the National Association of Neuthetic Counselors, N-O-U-T-H-E-T-I-C. The Association of Neuthetic Counselors, now the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, founded by Jay Adams, who was one of the first people to develop a counseling model based entirely on scripture and not on bogus psychological theory. Go to biblicalcounseling.com. In the top right-hand corner of the page, click on Find a Counselor, and may God's blessings go with you. I'm John Roseman. The show is Because I Said So. You can call us at 404-419-6499. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Welcome back to the show, folks. I'm your host, John Roseman. I've uh, got an email here from a mother who uh, says her daughter turned four in December. And uh, most of last year, the daughter had constipation issues. We went through episodes of her withholding her bowel movements for fear of it hurting when it comes out. And in fact, she had had a couple of painful bowel movements, but uh, that problem had been resolved through the use of a laxative prescribed by a pediatrician. The mother says, the daughter's bowel movements are no longer painful for her, but she refuses nonetheless to poop on the potty. Now, I want you listeners to understand something here. We're not talking about a toilet training issue. This is a child who is four years old. She knows how to use the toilet. She uh, absolutely refuses to use the toilet. And someone can say, well, she, she had some painful experiences. And uh, the, the memory of that pain, uh, the pain was traumatic. And the memory of that pain and blah, blah, blah. In other words, someone, and and if you went to see a mental health professional, it's probably the sort of blah, blah, blah that you'd get about this. Um, you'd get some psychological explanation for this. I tend to believe that uh, the mother has hit this on the head when she says that her daughter, quote, refuses to use the potty. This is not a toilet training issue. 
this is clearly a defiance issue. The mother goes on to say that her daughter will go find a pull-up and put it on and have a bowel movement in the pull-up. Okay, so in other words, pain is not the issue. Uh, What has developed here, and and I'm going to shift our perspective just slightly, is that a soap opera has developed in this family concerning the issue of using the toilet properly for bowel movements. Uh, The mother says she has hidden the uh, pull-ups, and the daughter goes and finds her two-year-old sister's pull-ups. I recently tried, and I'm quoting from the mother's email, I recently tried cutting a hole in the pull-up, an idea she says she found online. And folks, I will tell you that online you find uh, some really bizarre, crazy, and uh, uh, ideas concerning parenting. And and I think that uh, proportionately there's more bizarreness in what you find online concerning parenting than stuff that you find that is helpful. Um, Anyway, the mother cut a hole in the pull-up and the daughter cried and refused to pull it on. Okay, there it is, the word refused again. She's a smart little girl. She knows when she has to go, but just prefers the comfort of the pull-up. No, she does not prefer the comfort of the pull-up. In the first place, uh, having a bowel movement in a pull-up is not comfortable at all. Uh, What's going on here is a soap opera. What's going on here is defiance. What's going on here is that a tremendous amount of emotional energy has been invested in this uh, drama and uh, that the only way to resolve this is with a very, very authoritative approach. Um. The mother ends by saying that the girl doesn't have this problem at preschool, doesn't have the problem at her swimming lessons, doesn't have the problem anywhere else but at home, which reinforces my belief this is a home-based drama or soap opera. What do I do? The mother says, should I just wait it out? Uh, No, you should not. Um you've come to the right guy. I've got a lot of experience with this. And let me tell you a story that I hope will be helpful. About, I would say, 10 years ago, I got a phone call from a mother in Connecticut who told me that her four-year-old daughter refused to use the potty and refused to use the potty at all. In the case at hand, we've got a girl four years old who won't have a bowel movement in the potty Presumably, she will urinate in the potty, but in the case of the little girl from Connecticut, uh, she would not use the potty at all. So uh, the mother was distraught, crying on the phone. Uh, Her daughter was scheduled to go to kindergarten uh, in the fall. I was talking to the mother in early May. And the mother said that the school had already told her that uh, she cannot come to the school. It was a private school, Catholic school. Um, No comment on Catholic schools, folks. It's just that's what it was, a Catholic school. She was not going to be able to go to Catholic school, kindergarten, unless she was toilet trained. And the girl simply refused to use the toilet. And when the mother said, well, you can't go to school, the girl said, I don't want to go to school. I'll 
spend the day at Granny's, and Granny lived a block away down the street. So, understanding that this was a fairly critical situation, uh, I said to the mother, are you ready to deal with this uh, this weekend? And I think I was talking to her on, on Thursday, and she said, yeah, I'll do it. And so, what I had her do was uh, completely, first of all, she sent the four-year-old girl, she sent her daughter down the street to Granny's house. And um, while the little girl was at Granny's house being entertained by Granny, the mother completely cleaned out the girl's room. And I believe that the girl had a complete collection of some sort of doll, and I'm like lining the walls of her room. And by the way, the child was an only child, an only grandchild, and she was the family princess, and uh, which was part of the problem. So the mother and the father uh, cleared out the child's room. I mean, just uh, sterilized it, removed anything and everything, this huge doll collection, and anything and everything else that had any play value or entertainment value, as I call it. Uh, the mother and the father then uh, disposed of anything and everything that was in the house that uh, had uh, any association with uh, the fact that the girl would not use the, the toilet. Um, they got rid of the pull-ups, they got rid of the, um, the uh, disposable diapers. Uh, they were actually using a changing table for a four-year-old. I told them, get rid of that. And uh, so while the girl was at Granny's, there was this flurry of activity and uh, the girl's room was cleaned out and all, all of this equipment and supplies and everything that smacked of uh, of the fact that the girl wouldn't use the toilet was also were also cleaned out of the house as well. And I told the mother, go to, you know, Walmart or Target or someplace like that and buy inexpensive, very thin uh, cotton panties. And uh, once the stage was set in that way, uh, the, uh, the mother called Granny and, and Granny walked the girl home and uh, I had specifically instructed that Granny was to leave the child on the front steps and turn around and go back to her house. Mom opened the door. Mom welcomed the child home. The door was closed and Mom said, you need to take off your pull-up. You are no longer wearing pull-ups. And... Uh, held out a pair of these thin cotton panties and said, you're wearing these from now on. And um, the little girl just stared at her. And the mother said, uh, I'll help you. And, and uh, laid her down on the floor and took the diaper off and helped her put on the panties. And then said, uh, now you need to uh, go to your room and see what's happened to your room. And the girl went to her room and saw what had happened. And uh, the mother said, this is how you're going to live until you start using the toilet. You're not going to be uh, allowed any toys, any dolls, nothing. We're not buying you anything. We're not taking you anywhere. We're not taking you to special events, activities, anything. You're not going to Granny's. You're not going to anybody else's house. Because the number one high priority in your life is that you use the toilet. And until you use the toilet, uh, 
uh, you're not getting any of your stuff back. And you have to use the toilet for at least two weeks in a row successfully, no accidents before you get anything back. And you're going to get stuff back very gradually over a long period of time. Well, having been told this, and this is exactly what the mother told me, the girl began to scream, uh, not cry, but throw a wild shrieking tantrum, spread her legs, and wet the floor. Instead of being deterred, the mother pressed on, and uh, we had covered this in our conversations, took the girl immediately into the bathroom, uh, had her take a bath, had her wash her underwear out in a bucket of sudsy water that the mother had put in the bathroom, had the girl put on pajamas and go into her room and told the girl, you can't come out of your room for the rest of the day unless it is to use the potty. The girl during this whole time was just shrieking, screaming uh, unbelievably. Now, I want to tell you folks that uh, there is probably not one psychologist in America that would have recommended this besides yours truly. And this is exactly the sort of reason why I am such a controversial person in my field. Uh, the girl is shrieking, screaming, and the mother just left her in her, her room, dressed in her pajamas, and said, uh, if, if you have to use the potty, come to the door, Make the request, I'll let you out of your room, you can use the potty, and you can stay out of your room for the rest of the day. Half an hour later, the girl stopped shrieking, came to the door of her room, said, Mommy, I want to use the potty. The mother led her into the bathroom, the girl used the potty successfully, and the girl never, ever again, never, ever again uh, used the bathroom uh, in her pants, was completely successful from that point on using the big girl potty, as it was called. The moral of the story is that contrary to mental health professionals, serious problems can be corrected quickly. Folks, stay with us. We'll be right back. American Family Radio Network, it's Because I Said So. Now once again, here's your host, John Rosemond. Welcome back to the show, folks. Uh, glad you stayed with us. And uh, for those of you who may be just joining us, uh, my name is John Rosemond. I'm uh, what is uh, today called a parenting expert. I'm a guy who writes a nationally syndicated newspaper column on Parenting and Family Issues, the column appears in about 250 newspapers around the country, some very big like the Atlanta uh, Journal-Constitution, Buffalo News, and uh, some very small, um, but uh, about 250 newspapers around the country. I've written 20 books on the raising of children and related issues. And uh, those 
can be found on my website at johnrosemond.com. That's J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D.com. I also have another website where all that happens there, it's a membership-only website, is that uh, I answer questions that people submit and parent coaches that I've trained through my Leadership Parent Coaching Institute uh, also answer questions submitted by parents. And um, I go around the country and I talk on this uh, subject that uh, we now call parenting in America, the raising of children. And I talk mostly in churches, Christian schools, but I do talk before some secular audiences as well here and there. I've got upcoming engagements in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, Los Angeles, and West Palm Beach, and Kansas City, and you can go to my website, and you can uh, go to my speaking schedule, and you can see what uh, might be upcoming in your area. So uh, one of the things that I do on this show is I answer questions uh, that people have submitted by email, and uh, here's uh one of those questions that I received recently uh, from a mother, almost always, folks, it's the mother who asks these questions. Uh, We started potty training my 21-month-old using your Naked and 75 method seven days ago. All right, let me explain this, that um, Naked and $75 refers to the fact that during toilet training, the child is naked from the waist down or, in the case of a boy, only wears very, very thin underwear. And the reason for that is that in order to toilet train a child, the sensation of uh, urination and having a bowel movement needs to be radically different from the sensation that uh, accompanied wearing a diaper. So the first thing you do in toilet training is you take the diaper off, you get rid of the diapers, you get rid of the pull-ups, and you have the child be naked or only wearing very thin panties from the uh, uh, around his or her pelvic area. And uh, so that's the naked part of naked in $75. $75 refers to the fact that you're going to have some stains on carpets and uh, rugs and so on and so forth, furniture maybe. And the good news is that uh, human waste does not uh, generally produce permanent stains or discoloring. So uh, the $75 is the cost of hiring uh a uh, carpet cleaner to come in and clean uh, those stains. So naked in $75. So the mother started potty training her 21-month-old child. And by the way, that is when, despite what your pediatrician might have told you, that is when you should be toilet training. You should not be waiting. And this is... uh, uh, pediatric uh, conventional wisdom, you should not be waiting as most pediatricians recommend because uh, the pediatric uh, community has been 
under the sway of the toilet training advice of one Dr. T. Barry Brazelton for the last uh, 50 years, which is why we're having so many problems in America with something that your great-grandmother thought was quite simple and accomplished in uh, three to seven days with a child who was around uh, 18 to 21 months of age. Um, there was no agony. There was no screaming, yelling, crying, shrieking, tantrums rolling on the floor, refusal, et cetera, et cetera. Your great-grandmother just said, this is what we're going to do, and that's what happened. And then along came T. Barry Brazelton, a pediatrician, trained at Harvard, uh, did his residency at Boston Children's Hospital, one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious, children's hospitals in America, and everything went to Hades in the proverbial handbasket. And um, so uh, some of you might be saying when you hear that this mother is trying to toilet train a 21-month-old, well, that's entirely too early, but that's uh, when I recommend that, that a child be trained. And I simply ask people this simple question. Is it easier to house train a three-month-old puppy or a one-year-old dog? And, of course, the answer is it is easier to house train the three-month-old puppy. Why? Because the habit of releasing at will whenever the urge strikes is by age one in the dog extremely strong and teaching the dog a new trick is going to be very, very difficult. So uh, anyway, the mother goes on to say, so far uh, after seven days, we've not had success. I think every inch of our kitchen has been peed or pooped in. And uh, I applaud the mother for keeping the child in the kitchen during this time. Uh, you know, what I recommend is uh, if you don't want certain carpets, if they're expensive orientals or whatever, uh, peed on, uh, then, uh, then by all means, uh, gate those areas of the house off. According to your book, she's referring to my book, Toilet Training Without Tantrums. We shouldn't stop once we've started, but I have to admit that I'm tempted to do so since we haven't had any success at all, he doesn't seem to have a tell. In other words, he doesn't seem to know when he's going to start peeing or pooping either. So uh, my answer to this mother is, uh, you're right. I do not recommend starting and stopping as this can create uh, even greater problems in the long run. And I will tell you that seven days with a 21-month-old boy is not enough time to evaluate his response to the process. I have heard in many, 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 many times stories of kids who didn't seem to get it for upwards of three or four weeks who suddenly began having a great success from that point on. For any of you who are considering doing this with a, uh, a toddler, I would strongly recommend that you read my book, Toilet Training Without Tantrums. In it, I describe not only how to approach the issue of toilet training in general, how to set the stage properly, 
uh, how to convey your expectations to the child, uh, how to react to accidents, and so on and so forth. But I also describe how to respond to problems of this sort, how to jumpstart the process, how to deal with a child who's refusing to use the toilet, how to deal with an older child who isn't yet using the toilet successfully on a regular basis, and so on and so forth. So um, what I'm going to say to this mother is several things. First of all, remember that attitude is everything. Uh, How you convey the expectation is 90% of the game here, if you will. Um, The problem with many parents today is because they believe that uh, this is a culture-wide belief, and it it is the result of this, um, uh, I call it toilet babbling by T. Barry Brazelton, believe that toilet training is a is potentially a psychologically apocalyptic process that if mishandled, it can create huge, long-lasting psychological problems that the child will never fully recover from. And in fact, if you read Dr. Brazelton's uh, writings, that is exactly the impression that you get. And... Um, He said such things as it requires force to get a child uh, under the age of two to use the toilet. Well, no, it does not require force. It just requires a, a very clearly conveyed authoritative expectation, as in uh, you're not wearing diapers anymore. You're going to be using the toilet from now on like the rest of us. Uh, you're a big boy, you can do this, and mommy and daddy are going to help you for a while, and then you're going to be on your own. And, and just approach it that way. This is going to happen, and we all know it's going to happen, and that's a done deal. The problem with today's parents is that because they don't approach toilet training with confidence, instead they approach it with anxiety, they communicate to the child, that this is a scary process, there's something weird about the process, and I'm talking about uh, communicating to the child's intuition. And uh, again, all success is 90% a matter of your approach. And this is what I talk about in the book, Toilet Training Without Tantrums. And again, if you're thinking about Toilet training a child, regardless of age, but a child 18 months or older. And that's, uh, to me, the window of opportunity is between 18 and uh, 24 months. That's your optimal window of opportunity. I highly recommend that you go to your library or go to my website, johnroseman.com, and uh, check it out or buy it, Toilet Training Without Tantrums. I'm John Roseman. The show is Because I Said So. You can call us at 404-419-6499. You can email your questions to radio at rosemond.com. That's radio at rosemond.com. We'll be back in a moment with more of this parenting incorrectness. Stay with us.
And off we go once again. Welcome back to the show. Remember, our number is 404-419-6499. If you'd like to join us, if you'd like to find out more about me, your host, John Roseman, you can go to johnroseman.com, parentguru.com. You'll find my books on amazon.com and so on and so forth. And, um, have another parenting question here submitted by email from a parent somewhere in America who says, my husband and I have a four and a half year old son who can be delightful and exceptionally good when he decides to be, which is usually when he is with anyone besides my husband and me. I know an element of this is to be expected, but at this point, it seems like everyone is aware of that and how he is only bad with us, making it seem like we have no control with him. It is a bit embarrassing and frustrating. Our biggest problem with him is that 90% of the time when we make a decision regarding his care and communicate that to him in a calm, direct manner, whether it's bedtime cleanup, no iPhone right now, etc. If he doesn't like it, he throws a fit immediately. I can't ask him to do anything at all without complaint and crying every time. I will usually send him to his room to get a good attitude, and he throws himself on the ground, screams the whole way upstairs. I've also said he had to stay in his room all day until dinner time and then go to bed right after dinner, and nothing seems to make a difference. I'm sure I'm doing something wrong. I was considering implementing the ticket system you describe in your book, The Well-Behaved Child, but also wanted to get some other insight in what to expect from him and how to gain authority over him. Okay, so two problems jump right out at me. The first problem is you say, and I quote, I can't ask him to do anything at all without complaint. Okay, so you're asking and don't try and tell me that that was some slip of the tongue or the fingers on the keyboard because I won't believe you. I can't ask him to do anything at all. That's problem number one. You're asking. As I say in um, many of my books, but specifically The Well-Behaved Child, which you were kind enough to mention, um, in giving instructions to a child, uh, the manner in which you give instructions is everything. The manner in which you give the instruction determines to at least a factor of 70% whether the instruction will be obeyed or not. And in that regard, I recommend A, that you use as few words as possible B, that you begin instructions with phrases like, it is time for you to, I want you to, you are going to, authoritative, directive phrases like that. I'll repeat them. I want you to, it is time for you to, you are going to. You are going to pick up your toys. 
It is time for you to pick up your toys. I want you to pick up your toys. The problem with most American parents, and many of you out there are going to recognize yourselves in this immediately, is that parents do not preface instructions to children in that manner. The typical parent these days begins an instruction like this. Honey, it would really help mommy out a lot if you would pick up your toys and move them to another room. Folks, that is not an authoritative instruction. That is a wimpy milk toast instruction. It is limp-wristed and it's not going to get you anywhere. It is likely to provoke pushback, resistance, argument, defiance, etc., etc., etc. Why do I have to? You always make me pick up my toys when I'm in the middle of playing, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, I call it leadership speech. It's brief. It's to the point. Uh, it's no frills. It is devoid of explanation. If you want a child to argue with you, give him an explanation. I want you to pick up my toys because my girlfriend's coming over and I want to use this room to serve her coffee and pastries. Will you please move your toys somewhere else? Uh, that sort of approach is almost guaranteed to provoke the beginning of an argument. Why do I have to move? I was here first. You and your girlfriend should be in some other room. You don't let me eat in here. How come you're going to eat in here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So leadership speech, it's brief, it's to the point, it's devoid of explanation. When it's an instruction, it begins with, I want you to, I want you to pick up your toys right now, move them to another room. And if the child says... Why or why not, depending on the nature of the instruction or the nature of the communication, your answer should be, because I said so, which is nothing more, folks, than an affirmation of the legitimacy of your authority over your child. And let me talk about that for a minute. How legitimate is your authority over your child? It is completely 100% legitimate because... God himself has assigned you his authority over his children. So your authority is complete, unequivocal, unequivocal, and uh, it, it, is, it is unchallengeable. If you don't want your child to challenge you over and over and over again on the matter of your authority, then begin to use the very liberating four words, because I said so. But mom, that's not an answer. Well, it's the only answer I'm going to give you. I do not intend to discuss my decisions uh, with a 4, 6, 8, 10, 12-year-old child. Uh, you are not an adult. I am an adult. Uh, I explain myself to other adults. I discuss decisions with other adults. I do not discuss decisions with children. And then you turn around and walk away. Folks, the, the, the quicker you learn how to do this, uh, it is so liberating. It's liberating for you, and even though your child doesn't like it, ultimately it is liberating for him too. Because let me tell you, the happier child is the non-argumentative child. The happier child is the obedient child. 
if you want your children to be happy, if you want them to be uh, happy campers, then they need to be obedient and they need to be non-argumentative. And that is completely up to you. So problem number one in this particular case, in the case of this four-and-a-half-year-old boy who can be delightful and exceptionally good when he wants to be because he's learned how to manipulate his parents, is the uh, approach that these parents are taking. And problem number two is that they have absolutely no organized plan for dealing with the misbehavior in question. Uh The parents in question are dealing with it, obviously, off the cuff, uh, from the hip, uh, so to speak. Uh, They don't know what they're going to do when the child misbehaves, and they probably don't do anything until they've had it. I've had it. You're going to your room the rest of the day, and you're not going to have dinner. You're not going to have a Christmas ever again, and your birthdays are canceled. And uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing that today's parents do as well. They let it build up and build up and build up, and then they crack and they start shrieking and they act like, uh, you know, they act like evil aliens from some other uh, planet, you know. So um, uh, what you need, folks, is in addition to learning how to properly use leadership speech, you need a plan. You need an organized plan. Now, you mentioned tickets, and that's fine. Give your child three tickets a day. Put a list on the refrigerator. You lose a ticket when you uh, refuse to do what you're told, when you throw a tantrum, when you scream at me. You know, list five things um, and put three tickets on a magnetic clip on the refrigerator. He starts the day with three tickets. It's uh, three strikes you're out or three tickets you're out. Uh, Ticket number one, when he misbehaves, According to any item on the list, you simply say to him, uh, yelling at me when I tell you to do something is on your list. You're losing a ticket and you're going into the downstairs bathroom for 30 minutes. Four and a half year old, 30 minutes. Um, Second ticket, you go to the bathroom for one hour. Third ticket, you go to your room for the rest of the day. Folks, this very simple approach is going to solve the problem in combination with leadership speech in a very short period of time. Uh, Third problem, get that iPhone out of his hand. Uh, You obviously haven't read the columns I've written on the addictive nature of screen-based electronics and how they interfere with normal brain development. Folks, um, it's been another show. It's been another pleasurable hour for me, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. My name's John Roseman, website, johnroseman.com. Before I leave, uh, I want to tell you about something that might be very helpful to your family. It's my latest book, Grandma Was Right After All. Parents, you are not your children's friends. Parents are leaders of children. Children need to understand it's their job to pay attention to their parents more than it's their parents' job to pay attention to them. My books, uh, including the latest Grandma's Right After All, should help you with that issue and related issues. I want to thank everybody at American Family Radio for carrying the show. And we'll be back next week, 5 o'clock Central Time. Why? 
Because I said so. From Creative Genius Productions and the American Family Radio Network, take care. God bless.